You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Please be seated. Our scripture reading for this morning is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that your hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory to the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Betsy. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have to gather together for worship. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, that it, is, it speaks just as clearly to us today as it did when it was first written. And we ask now, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying, give us hearts to respond to it. And Lord, we pray that, I pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Rick Hutton. I'm the pastor of Discipleship and Family Ministry. I'm glad to be with you this morning on this second Sunday of Advent. Um, If you were with us last week, or even if you're here with us for the first time and and you're looking around, you see that the, the way that we have things decorated is different than the world around us. In fact, the church in general does Advent, does this time of year very different than our culture, the culture that we are in. 
Um, instead of getting caught up into the busyness that some people have been pushing since August, no kidding, I've seen Christmas decorations in places starting in August, we are taking Advent at a different pace. We are taking Advent for what the church has done with it for a thousand, over a thousand years, and that is taking it as a place to be still, to be quiet, to wait, to take stock of our needs, to take stock of our longings and our ultimate longing for God to come. Advent gives us a rare opportunity to do this. And in this time, we, we look at the world that we live in, we look at our immediate worlds, our spheres of influences, the things that we experience every day, the places we go, the people we see. We look into our, our own souls even to look at the longings that are being expressed through the things we encounter and experience. And when we get to the root of those longings in the world, in our spheres of influence and in our own souls, all of them come back to this desire, whether we realize it or not, our desire to have God come and make all things new. Advent gives us this opportunity as we look back to Jesus' first coming and look forward to his second coming, we get to see that God has acted in the world, that he is acting in this world and that he will act in the world to make all things new. And that is a great source of comfort knowing that God came to his people, that he comes to his people, he comes to us to bring us to himself. That gives us peace, it gives us comfort. And knowing that God will make things the way that they're supposed to be so that the brokenness we encounter and experience, that also gives us comfort, knowing that those things will not exist any longer when Jesus returns. Because God has come, because God is coming again in Jesus we can have comfort because that is true. But we're living not in a time where Jesus has already returned. We're living in a time, as one pastor called it, in between the once upon a time and the happily ever after. Once upon a time of where Jesus was born, the happily ever after of where he comes again, when he comes again. And because that's the space we're living in, we still deal with struggle. We still deal with brokenness. We still deal with sin and pain. It's apparent around us. It's apparent within us. And the scripture that was read this morning from Isaiah 40, it's about comfort. It's about comfort for God's people, people like us who are in need of it because of where they found themselves when they heard these words for the first time. And so as we think about God's comfort for us, I want us to think about our, our need for it the source of it, and our response to it. So first, let's think about our need for it. I'm, I'm sure many of you are familiar um, with the television show, The Office. It ran, the American version, um, it ran on NBC from 2005 to 2013. Uh, it's seen a resurgence in popularity recently because of all the streaming um, services that have been airing it. But I watched it when it was on broadcast TV back in the early 2000s. Uh, it was a funny show. Uh, it was well-written. The characters were just that. They were characters for sure. Um, it generated a, a big following, and it even catapulted a few um, careers uh, into a, a completely different level. Uh, it was about a paper processing company called Dunder Mifflin in Scranton, um, Pennsylvania. And their boss, 
Michael Scott was one of the primary characters. And Michael was a very unique manager, to say the least. In fact, he was incredibly awkward. Uh, he said and did things that just would make, made me cringe, probably many of us cringe. In fact, Michael would do things that were so uncomfortable that I actually could not watch what he was doing. I had to leave the room or turn off the TV or whatever. I could not bring myself to endure some of these awkward things he was doing because I was so uncomfortable for a fictional character. I didn't like being uncomfortable, and so I left the uncomfortable situation. Most people don't like being uncomfortable. In fact, most of us go to great lengths to avoid discomfort. We want to be very comfortable. Our society is pushing on us ways to be more comfortable, whether it's our shoes, our couches, our beds, whatever it is, we are being pushed to be more comfortable because we don't like being in an awkward, uncomfortable place. It might mean that we leave an awkward TV show or at least that scene. It means that people break up over text because they don't want to endure the awkward emotional response from the person they're breaking up with. It also may mean that we don't confront a loved one or a person that we know for something that they have done wrong to us because we don't want to deal with the awkward and uncomfortable situation. Or we don't want to be confronted by a loved one when we've done something wrong with, to them because it makes for an uncomfortable moment, so we just avoid them altogether. Whatever it is, we don't like being uncomfortable, but our world does not allow us to live in perfect comfort. Our world doesn't allow us to go through without pain, without discomfort, without sorrow, without suffering. Those things are all part of the world that we live in. And if you haven't experienced any of those things yet, you will. And I know that's not the message we wanna hear at Christmas time, but it's the reality of our life. We will experience pain and sorrow and grief and uncomfortable places. And when we're in those difficult places, the places of struggle and pain and sorrow, we want to be comforted. We need to be comforted. But I don't like having to receive comfort because it means that things in my life are broken. Things aren't the way I want them to be. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. I don't like having to receive it, but every time I have, I've been grateful for the comfort, I've experienced it. My family and I have experienced it in a profound way this year, the, the comfort that comes from this community, and we're grateful for that. And over the years, the third community has brought comfort into my life in so many ways, and I'm grateful for that because as the community here has brought comfort to me and my family, I've, I've had God's peace come upon me in a way I hadn't had it before. I've grown in my dependence upon God He's shown me more of who he is and who I am to him. And all of those things are great, but they were really hard to get because of what I had to go through to get there. To receive comfort, we have to be in a hard place. And the people that Isaiah initially spoke these words to, they were in a hard place to understate it. They were in exile in Babylon. The Babylonians had come in and taken captive many of the best and brightest people of their society. They had destroyed Jerusalem and they were actually trying to wipe out any remnant of Jewish culture in the world at this time. There was not a whole lot of celebrating going on for God's people in this time. The thing that they experienced the most was the pain of loss of what they once had 
as the people of God. And for many of the people then, they felt like God had abandoned them. And if you find yourself today in a place of struggle and difficulty and suffering, maybe you feel that that's true for you too, that God has abandoned you. And so God's people that Isaiah spoke to here initially, they needed comfort because they were in exile. And the interesting thing is, is that God had allowed this exile to happen. And while he allowed it, he didn't abandon them in the midst of it. What God had done was that he allowed them to face the consequences of their actions, that he had warned them not to take. For years, through the prophets, through Isaiah, God had been telling his people to do one thing. And as we know, people are prone to do, they are prone to turn away from God, to do their own thing, because they think they know best, because we think we know best. And what this meant for the people of Judah is that they made alliances with countries that God told them not to, and eventually it led to Babylon coming in and taking them captive. Now, a few years ago, um, one of my boys, they were in my office. Uh, they were under my desk. They had a paperclip in their hand. There also was a power strip under the desk, and maybe some of you have an idea of where this story is going. I told them, do not put the paperclip in the outlet of the surge protector. Well, as younger boys are prone to do, they took the paperclip and stuck it in the outlet. There was a great shock. There was pain. There was tears. And I went to comfort my son. Now, I, I do have to confess, there was a little bit of an I told you so going on in my heart. I don't win dad of the year, I realize. But for the most part, I went to comfort my son. If I knew enough to comfort my son when he had done something I had told him not to do, how much more will God, who is perfect in his love, do the same for his people who have turned their back on him, who need comfort, even though it's because they had done things he told them not to do? If I can do this, of course God can do this. In fact, I can only give comfort in that circumstance because God himself has given me comfort in a similar place. God does not abandon his people, even in the midst of struggles and difficulties and trials. It may not feel like that in the moment, but it is true. God is with his people. Many of us are dealing with difficult places in our lives. We need comfort right now. We have relational struggles. We have marriage difficulties. Maybe there's health problems or difficult decisions, tough work situations. We're struggling in so many different ways and maybe that's led us to wonder if God's still with us or if he's abandoned us. Regardless of whether or not you can look back on the circumstances you're in and say, this was because of my choice or outside circumstances, God is with you. He has not abandoned you. God will never abandon his people. In verse one, he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He says that he is their God, that they are his people. He is your God. He is, you are his people. You are his person. He is in relationship with the people of Judah in this passage in Isaiah. He is in relationship with us. God has not abandoned his people. And in Advent, as we look ahead to Christmas, we think about Emmanuel, God with us. God was with his people 
even when they turn their hearts from him, even when they turned away from him. And as God is with them, he speaks tenderly to them. He speaks to their heart. And what this is getting at is this idea that God is lovingly persuading his people who have turned away from him, persuading them back to him. He's calling them back to himself so that they can be in a full relationship with him. He's calling them back to the one who truly loves them, the one to whom they belong. And God does this because of what verse two tells us. It says that Jerusalem's hard service has been completed. She's received double for her sins because Israel, Israel had done wrong for decades, centuries even, of turning their back on God, doing what they thought was going to be best and not listening to God. And yet we're told that their time of hard service is over. It's been paid for. And as I was reflecting on those words, I thought of, of two different questions. One is, what does, what's this idea with receiving double for your sins? Why, has God punished them more than they deserved? What's, what's the story with that? And then this other question that came to mind was the, was the captivity in Babylon 70 years? Was that enough to make up for all the sin that they had committed against God? Well, so for this idea of Israel receiving double, sometimes Hebrew is difficult to translate into English. And so a little bit needs to be explained there. And I found this to be very helpful. There's two ways that we can understand this receiving double. The first is that it's talking about two layers of meaning to what's being said here. And that means there's the layer that human beings can understand with our limited knowledge, but also there is a double layer that goes beyond what we can comprehend. And so this doubling is more about how in-depth God's forgiveness and grace has been. It goes beyond even what we can comprehend. And then the second way of understanding it is as if the sins were covered like folding a sheet of paper over it and sin was on the bottom half, the top half is God's grace. You fold it over and where the corners line up, each side has its double, has its match. The sin has been completely covered. So God is not being unjust by punishing Israel twice for what they need, but instead it is demonstrating his grace and love by giving something that we can't fully comprehend and making sure it is covered completely. Now, to get to this idea of 70 years, was 70 years enough? No, 70 years was not enough to make up for the sin that Israel had committed against God. In fact, no amount of work would be enough to make up for that because if we could make up for, if Israel could make up for our sins with God, comfort wouldn't be comfort. Grace wouldn't be grace. It would have been earned. And we don't earn comfort. Comfort is something that is given to us and that we receive as a gift. Comfort comes not because we've earned it or deserve it. It's just given to us by God. And so there's even more at work in these verses as well. Verse two talks about sin being met. The word there that, that is probably a better translation is actually the word iniquity. And in church language and understanding, they're very, very similar, but there's an important difference between sin and iniquity. And that is because in Isaiah 53, we're told that the suffering servant of the Lord was crushed for our iniquities. It's the same word being used 
in Isaiah 40, as well as in 53. And so the comfort of our sins being paid for, our iniquities being covered, is not made by a payment of hard service. It's made by the payment of God's suffering servant. It's a payment made by Jesus. And so the comfort for the people then and the comfort for us now comes through Jesus. And this is important because this passage is about a greater exile than just what the people were experiencing in Babylon. This is about spiritual exile from God. Everyone, me, you, all people, we live in exile from God if Jesus is not part of our lives. If he is not with us, we are in exile. We're born as sinners, and without God intervening in our lives, we'll continue to live our entire life in exile. So even if our life is going as well as we possibly could imagine it going, even if we're as comfortable as we possibly can be, if we don't have Jesus, we are in exile. But for those of us who are walking with Jesus as one of his children, if we're experiencing struggles and difficulties and pain and sorrow and grief, you are not in exile because you are with Jesus and he is with you. Jesus is the source of comfort. He is the source of our freedom from sin. He is our source for the right relationship with God. He is our comfort. And so Jesus is the source of our comfort. And as our source, he leads us into something else. Of course, we're gonna say Jesus is our source and our grace, come, grace comes only through him. But as we walk with Jesus, he leads us to another place where we will find comfort in the midst of difficulties. In verse three, we see that Isaiah talks about preparing a way, of leveling mountains, of making a highway. And in Advent, we're looking to the truth that Jesus, the King, is coming. And because that's true, we're to prepare a way for his imminent arrival. Now, in biblical times, there weren't a lot of roads, certainly not roads like we knew it. There were very few, if any, paved roads, in fact, there were paths, there were trails, there were well-taken routes that were called roads, but these were not necessarily straight lines from point A to point B. They were meandering. They were uphills and down through valleys. They were treacherous and challenging to, to navigate. But when a king would come to a city, he would demand that the road be straight, that the road would be smooth. And so this city would prepare a road so that the king could have the fastest, most direct, best route into that city. And this is what we're told to do by Isaiah here, to make a clear path for Jesus, the king, the one who brings true comfort to us. He is coming, and so we're to prepare a highway. The problem is when it comes to preparing a highway, it's difficult. And so we look for other places to find comfort rather than making this road for the king of comfort to come. When it says valleys are raised up and mountains taken down, Isaiah is pointing us to the challenging work of repentance. And in fact, John the Baptist uses these very words in Mark chapter one when he begins his, his preaching as a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the source of comfort, but for us to best receive it, we need to repent. And repentance is hard. And again, just to be clear, we repent not to get Jesus to come to us, but because he is coming to us. It is our response to the comfort we have in Jesus. 
but repentance and dealing with the hard things in our lives. This is what we do during Advent. We look into those dark places, those difficult things. We look at the sin in our lives and we ask God for forgiveness. We reorient our lives back towards him and away from the old way that we had been living. And this may mean that we have to ask those we know and love to forgive us for the things that we've done wrong to them. It probably will mean forgiving others who have wronged us, even if they haven't asked for forgiveness. And this may feel like leveling a mountain with a tiny pick. It might feel like raising a valley with a trowel. But this is what God invites us to do. And as we do this with him, we will continue to be out of step with our culture because our culture does not embrace forgiveness. Our culture, if anything, I would say our culture is a, a, a culture of revenge to make sure they, whoever they is, get as good as they gave. And so in our world, we're being shaped not to forgive, but to make sure someone else gets what we think they deserve. But when we reflect on the comfort that we've received from God through the forgiveness we have in Jesus, we're meant to show a forgiving heart. We've been called out of exile into life with Jesus by him. And because this is true, we can forgive as we've been forgiven. And repentance itself actually brings about comfort because as we turn away from our sins, we're made more into the image of Jesus. We're made more into who God created us to be, who we're supposed to be. And as this happens in us as an individual, but also as us as a community, the world will take notice and the glory of the Lord will be evident. And I'm not talking about some like bright manifestation of God's glory, although that could happen, but more about the fullness of God's presence within us as his people. Where God's presence is, people take notice. And so the comfort that we have through Jesus is demonstrated and experienced more fully in our repentance. That, that comfort, it's not just for us. We're not the only ones who have been exiled from God. As I said before, without Jesus, everyone is exiled from God. But just like us, everyone can be brought into relationship with God out of exile by Jesus. And as God so often does, he invites us to point others to the truth of the life we have in him out of exile. When I was in seminary, I had a summer internship with a, a very unique organization, a unique ministry. It was called uh, Seafarers and International House. And what it was, it provided an opportunity for seminary students from around the country to come to New York City and to be chaplains for the seafarers who worked on the cargo vessels who would come into Port Newark and Port Elizabeth in New Jersey, which is where I lived. And so every day, uh, I would go with a group of other seminarians down to Port Newark, Port Elizabeth, wherever we needed to go. And we would go on board these cargo vessels and we would um, provide comfort for the, the men who worked there. And these men needed comfort. They were um, in from countries that uh, their economies were not what we um, are fortunate to experience here. Uh, they, in order to so, uh, provide for their families, they needed to work on these vessels. And it kept them away from their families for nine, 10 months of the year. They did not see their, their wives, their kids, um, or anything. They were on this boat for that long. And the working conditions were hot. It smelled 
They had long hours. It was just a very difficult place for these men to work. And so we would go on board and we would provide phone cards for them so that they could call their families back home. We would take them to the mall when people used to shop there and, and not worship there. Although you could, some people might equate shopping and worship together, but that's a sermon for another, another time. We would, we would listen to them because sometimes that's all they needed was to be comforted by having a listening ear. And I have to admit that at first when I started this internship, I was providing these forms of comfort because I had to. But by the end of the 10-week the internship, I realized how God works even through something as simple as providing a phone card so a man can call his wife back in the Philippines. God commands Isaiah to comfort his people. And just like Isaiah, we're commanded to do the same. Why? Because we've received comfort from God. We've not earned it. It's a gift. And it's a gift meant to be given over and over and over. If you're someone who's received comfort when you've been in a hard place, after going through that difficulty, you've probably found that you can better relate to and provide comfort to others who are in a similar situation. Some of you know Michelle Tapscott. Uh, she and her husband, Andy, were longtime members here, but went to be part of the Community West Church Plant launch team a number of years ago. But before she did that, she um, was very invested in the life of Third. She was a student ministry volunteer. She led a small group of girls for a number of years. And while she was leading this group of girls, she was um, diagnosed with breast cancer. And so she went through um, surgery and all the treatments, and by God's grace, Glad to say that she has had a clean bill of health for many years. But Michelle knew what going through the treatment process was like. And so there was one lock-in, probably around two o'clock in the morning. Michelle and her girls uh, went off into a side room and they began to cut blankets out of fleece. Um, and she was doing that because she knew that when she went through chemo, she was very cold sitting in that room, getting those drugs pumped through her to heal her. And someone had brought blankets to the patients then, and Michelle wanted to do the same thing. The comfort she had received, she wanted to give. Now, again, if you've gone through a difficult time, it may take some time emotionally before you are ready to give comfort to others. But when you do, when you bring comfort to someone out of your own experience in a similar circumstance, it means so much to the person who has received it. But you don't have to have gone through the ideal or the identical circumstance that that person has gone through in order to provide comfort. There are just very broad ways of providing comfort for people who are in challenging times. Things like being present with them as they grieve providing a meal, mowing a lawn, running an errand, praying for them and with them. Those are just a couple of things that we can do to provide comfort for those who are suffering and struggling. And in all of these things, God is at work and he enables us to bring this comfort because of the comfort he has given us. And we can do this for the community around us right here this morning, but also for our communities that we find ourselves in Monday through Saturday those outside of our church community. And as we think about those outside of our church community, there's another way to bring comfort to them. And it may even be comfort they don't fully recognize their need for, but it's one that we can't ignore. To bring true comfort to those people is to point them to Jesus. 
to have them move from being in exile from God into right relationship with God. We don't save them. God does that, but we can point them to that. And it's not because we have our act together, but it's because we were once in exile and God brought us into relationship with him. God has brought us comfort by bringing us to to him through Jesus. This is what Isaiah talks about in verse nine, that this news of our comfort of being out of exile with God is worth shouting about from the mountains, that we don't need to be afraid to do it. And we can share this with others because it's been shared with us. And yes, it does often begin with meeting physical needs for people. That is a great way to begin to show God's compassion and care for them. I think about the Mexico mission trips we have going on this summer where we will go in and we'll build a home and meet the physical needs of the family. But then the Mexican church comes in and meets and points the people to the source to meet their spiritual needs. But it doesn't have to be 3,000 miles away in Mexico for us to experience this. It It can happen right here in our own community. As we think about the refugees who are regularly coming in here and have the needs of their physical needs that need to be met, as well as spiritual needs. For the poor and the underserved in our communities, these people need physical comfort. Many of them will need spiritual comfort. It's pointing people to Jesus which is what Advent allows us to do. It points people, including us, to the true source of comfort, to Jesus who lived for us, who died for us, who rose for us, who reigns over all things for our good and for his glory. And we respond to the comfort we have in him by showing and telling it to others. We live in a broken and sin-filled and sinful world. We experience suffering, and great struggle and pain in this world. Yet God's invited us to bring comfort to those around us because he has brought it to us. He calls us to give physical comfort to those in need and spiritual comfort to those in exile. We can do this because God himself is with us. And with his mighty arm, he supports us and comforts us as we comfort others. We do live in between once upon a time and happily ever after. And while we live in this time, may we be people who receive the comfort of God's presence with us through Jesus, and may we provide comfort for those in need so that all people may know the comfort that we have through him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the comfort that we have in and through you, that you have brought us from exile into a right relationship with our heavenly father. And Lord God, we ask that we would respond to this comfort by providing comfort for others, physical comfort and pointing them to the true spiritual comfort, life and salvation in you. And in this Advent time, Lord God, we pray that we would look forward to Emmanuel, God with us, as we live between the once upon a time and the happily ever after. And we do pray, Lord Jesus, that you would